because like any disorder or addiction, if you think about it too much, you have to take accountability and say, maybe what I'm doing is damaging me. I think that's a big misconception about eating disorders is that it's about the food or the body, e eating intuitively, moving the body in a way that feels good. Things that also impact our health are just our physical health. How's our mental health? How's our sleep? All these things can really dramatically impact our health. So to just focus on weight loss and to tell people to lose weight, I mean, it's negligent at best. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Women Waken podcast, where we help women navigate relationships, personal healing, and help them to build self-confidence and self-trust for a better life and brighter future. I am your host, Whitney Walker, and today I welcome a lovely guest, nutritionist and anti dietitian Jen Power. Jen specializes in working with clients who have struggled with eating disorders. So on this episode, we talk as two professionals who both focus on eating disorders in our work about diet culture and its toxicity, healing our relationship with food, embracing body acceptance, and Jen helps us with some tips on how to navigate the holidays, which often revolve around food and being around family, which can elicit some strong responses and often relapses for those who are in recovery. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And here is Jen. Hey, Jen, thank you so much for joining me today for the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Whitney. I feel honored to, to be with you today. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And Jen, we've worked a little bit together in the past because, Jen, you are a nutritionist and you call yourself an anti-dietitian. Is that correct? Yeah, anti-diet dietitian. Say that three times fast. <laughs> <laughs> Tongue blister. So we met because I am a therapist and I specialize in addictions and eating disorders. And we met through a wonderful, fantastic organization called the EDRC, which is the Eating Disorder Resource Center, edrc.org for anyone listening. If you're looking for an amazing, helpful um, place to find out information and treatment options for eating disorders. And they have a weekly support group. Maybe actually they have like a few each week, don't they? They two. Yeah, two. I get an apparent support group as well. Yeah. And so those are available. Those are another fantastic resource they offer. And we met through that group because you often jump in to provide additional information about nutrition, health, when it comes to those who are struggling with eating disorders. So Jen, could you share a little bit about from a nutritionist perspective, because being someone who's lived through an eating disorder, I remember, especially in my early years, like when I was going through as a teen, the last thing on my mind was the impact my, it was having on my body. I did not care. I struggled with bulimia. I struggled with restriction. I could care less what I was doing to my body. It was because it was such an obsession and fixation. It just, it didn't matter. And it felt so out of my control. The, the degree of binge eating and purging, I couldn't help it. So what are some things to keep in mind about from a nutritionist perspective about what's going on with the body when someone's engaging in these eating disorder behaviors? Yeah. Like what are some of those risk factors involved? Yeah. Yeah. Eating disorders can be one of those things that it's not really 
felt until it's too late. Like what's like the physical complications uh, where the damage is already done. So there's a lot that your body does to adjust. And I mean, it, it does its best to keep you alive. And so I think something that's really incredible and amazing about our body is that it, it does have this ability to adapt and adjust and do the best it can to survive off of less fuel, less nutrition. But there are a lot of complications that go along with eating disorders that really maybe aren't talked about enough. I think one of the issues with eating disorders and disorder eating is that a lot of the times these practices are actually, they're thought of as like, oh, this person's just being healthy or, oh, look at them caring about their diet. And in really what's going on is that person's struggling and they're, they're really, they're, they're not healthy, right? Like it's not like they're achieving, achieving health by eating this way. And so a lot of those risks involve the, the bones, weakened bones, weakened and brittle bones, cardiac complications, the heart is a muscle. And so we might lose heart mass, in fact, and have a slower heartbeat, difficulty with adjusting blood pressure. So those are just some of the, some, some of the main physical complications that are associated with um, restricting. But then there's also electrolyte disturbances with purging, and that can certainly impact our, our heart as well. And not to mention the mental and emotional piece as well, yeah. the, the piece that impacts our, our gray matter and our brain. So the cognitive function and our body's ability to actually even produce and use serotonin. So to feel good and happy. So a lot is going on behind the scenes from a physical and emotional standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And the alarming thing is that until someone reaches out to a professional like you or I, a therapist or nutritionist, they don't they might not have any idea, right? Because again, just like I explained in my experience, you're pushing the boundaries. You're not, you feel like you're so caught up in this cycle, this eating disorder that it just doesn't, there's no way to stop and kind of comprehend until like you said, it can be too late, damage has been done. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, I think I see this a lot with my clients that you don't know what you don't know. And so they had this idea like, I feel good, I feel good enough, like, I don't know. My body's okay. Like I feel okay. My mood's okay. But then with some nutrition rehabilitation and with eating more, it's like, oh my gosh, like I had no idea just how bad I felt. Yes. Yes. I hear that a lot because I, some of your clients were, were clients of mine or previous clients that I referred to you who, by the way, all gave sparkling reviews and just absolutely adore working with you. And they would say the same thing where when they first saw me, they'd say, it's fine. And this this is the very beginning where their parents were desperate and they said, you need to see someone. We would do group family sessions and they would say, it's fine. I'm taking care of myself. I feel good. But just like you said, as soon as they tried to increase their caloric intake a little bit, they would say, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that I was freezing cold all the time, that my feet would go numb all the time. Because when you restrict, your body is trying to retain and sustain energy, right? Because it only has so much energy to expend throughout the body. So the first thing it's going to do is look out for the major organs, which means all our appendages and fingers, toes, hands are going to cut off more circulation to those areas. Yeah. It's like our body, like I said, it does what it does to survive. It can turn off these maybe not as essential body processes, things like 
hormone regulation, it might turn off the ability to menstruate and become a because it's not life-sustaining. Our, our heart, we need our heart to beat. We need our lungs to breathe. We need our organs to work. So these other body processes are going to either turn off or slow hair growth, nail growth. There's a lot of just that's impacted without enough nutrition because the body does everything it can to just keep you alive. Yeah. And of course, the loss of your period will happen because that's another major toll on the body is producing a period each month and that will stop. Also the hormonal imbalances that occur. So there are so many factors that I I think people just kind of write off and they're like, okay, because again, they don't want to think about it because like any disorder or addiction, if you think about it too much, you have to take accountability and say, maybe what I'm doing is damaging me. Just like somebody who's caught up in perhaps drug or alcohol use, it means we might have to change and change is scary. I think it's uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. And I know, especially my first introduction to eating disorders was at home through my mom. My mom has struggled with anorexia my whole life. As long as I've been alive, she struggled with it. And to let go of it at this point is just so, she's functional, but the thought of it over the years has been so scary, that change that it, she wasn't able to. And luckily, most that's not the case for most individuals. So many people are able to identify it and address it and work with people on it. And are they able to let it go? They're able to change. But I think that something like an eating disorder is so private and personal that it's almost like this, in a strange way, it's this comfort blanket that even though it's destroying you possibly or damaging you or hurting you, there's something comforting about it that's hard to let go of and to let other people know about, right? Yeah, I think that's a big misconception about eating disorders is that it's about the food or the body. And Sure, that's how it manifests, but it's really, it's about what's the deeper issue here? How is it soothing? Because it's serving a purpose for that person, right? It's it's there to soothe or to cope. And so that idea is like what's actually underneath the eating disorder. And that's how we can treat the eating disorder, how we can find recovery. Yes, absolutely. And that's another aspect that I find so fascinating about addictions and disorders is that they become such a companion even though they're kind of a toxic companion, they're still a companion that's there for you to offer you unhealthy, but still coping. They might be unhealthy coping, but it's still coping mm-hmm. mechanisms and tools. And so it can be hard to let go of that, to no longer have that. And that's another thing, Jen, that I work with on clients when they're first addressing the, their disorder is to recognize that they the underlying need rather than just trying to be skinny is that they're trying to really survive. They're trying to take care of themselves in a backwards way, Mm -hmm. right? At that time, it feels like the best thing they can do to get through this day, this week, this time in their life that may feel totally out of their control and unmanageable and scary. So it's the one thing that they feel like this is serving me. Mm -hmm. So at the time it's serving you until you recognize that it's really negatively impacting you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so important to realize you don't have to go through recovery alone, that there's there's help out there that, sure, this is serving you for this period of time. Maybe it's an unhealthy way of coping, but it's a way of coping. It's a way of surviving. But there's there's another way. There's other ways. And that's what therapists, dietitians, professionals who are trained in this work can help with. Yes. Yes. And then Jen, when you have clients that come to you who are in the midst of an eating disorder, 
and they're wanting to relearn how to eat, how to satiate themselves, how to get the proper nutrients and energy into their bodies, yet they're very caught up in this almost an obsessive compulsive disorder, right? Because you get very tied into the different rituals. Eating disorders are often very ritualistic. Mm -hmm. And so it can be hard to let go of these things. So how are you able to help people reconnect with the idea that food isn't just for comfort or for control, that it's also necessary for life and for living and allow them to move more towards that idea? Yeah. So I work with the concept intuitive eating, which is basically what we're all born doing. We're born intuitive eaters. We know when we're hungry. We know when we're full. All foods fit. We have no judgment about food or how we're supposed to eat. And somehow that gets lost along the way. Maybe that's well-meaning parents who have you eat past fullness and finish your plate. Maybe it's diet culture who has kind of dictated the way we're supposed to eat. So for whatever reason, there become some distortions and a lot of misinformation about nutrition and misunderstanding. And so whatever the practice is, maybe if it's restricting or avoiding certain foods or binging and purging or purging, but there's some kind of unhealthy relationship with food that is formed. And so I want to work with my clients to work towards back to getting to being an intuitive eater. I mean, I I fully believe we all have that ability. And I guess maybe I can explain what intuitive eating is. Yeah, please. Yeah, it's essentially, it's it's a, a way of eating that really honors our body. It's a way of eating that really focuses on inner attunement. So we first have to reject the diet industry, diet mentality, dieting doesn't work. 97% of diets fail. 3% of people who go on diets end up keeping the weight off. So an astonishing number that 97% of diets fail. And yet it's still recommended by so many health professionals or endorsed by the diet industry that weight loss is possible. Really what happens when people go on diets is that weight cycling occurs. People lose weight and then they end up gaining it back. And then they go on another diet and they lose it and then they gain it back. And weight cycling is actually more predictive of developing chronic diseases or poor health than just being at a higher weight. So there's a lot of kind of false promises, false trope that occurs with dieting and um, not to mention the emotional piece that the eating disorder or, or chronic dieting does. It can create a lot of discomfort in social situations. It can create a lot of isolation and just feelings of failure and anxiety around food. And so there's just that physical risk with dieting and the emotional risk. And a lot of people who go on diets can then later develop a full-on eating disorder, which we just talked about, all those complications that come with that. Yeah. So yeah, the first step in becoming an intuitive eater, or I guess becoming an intuitive eater again, is just really letting go of that concept that there's a perfect way to eat, that dieting works, that we that there's good and bad foods, that there's a way to have perfect health when it comes to nutrition. Because that's just not the case. Everyone is so unique and all foods fit. And it's really all about being attuned to the body, honoring the body, eating in a way that feels good. And so when we can 
eliminate those rules around eating and those labels of good versus bad food, and we can attune to our our hunger, we then are able to eat in a way that is mindful and we are able to stop when we're comfortably full and we know we're able to eat without guilt so we can eat that food again. And so there's just all this permission to become the the expert of your own body and to let go of some of those diet beliefs or the misinformation and really connect to the body because really eating and acknowledging our hunger, it's the same thing as noticing when we have to go to the bathroom, when we have to pee, right? We don't judge that. Like, oh, I have to pee. But it's like, okay, I'm hungry. Like, it's the same thing. It's just a body's need, right? So yeah, so that's intuitive eating in a nutshell. It's, it's really, it's a self-care eating framework. There's a lot more to it than that. But uh, just to give you an idea of where we're going in recovery, that's that's the ultimate goal is to really be in charge of your own body, of your own intake, and to eat in a way that's self-caring. But we don't start with that with eating disorder recovery because that is pretty impossible to start there. Yeah. So we might start with some more structure. And so I would meet with the my clients and figure out where they're at now, what's their current eating habits, and and give some education around what their body's needs are. I use the plate-by-plate approach, which helps to form a balanced and nutritionally complete plate based off of guidelines of like food on the plate versus counting calories or weighing the food. And we work on just structure, getting the body fed regular intervals, getting the body fed completely so that the body can begin to trust you again and yeah. you can trust your body. Yeah, definitely. And so that your body can be restored. Yeah. Right. I remember we worked together with the client and a big emphasis was your body is still res- working for restoration because the clients will get frustrated. They'll say, okay, I'm, I gained a little bit of weight. I'm ready. Can I go do this and that? And the other thing again, can I go back to normal? And that's obviously, of course, the ultimate goal, but our poor bodies, after we put them through so much, I would often use the analogy of like a broken leg. Like after two weeks of sitting around, you might be like, I've been sitting around for two weeks. I can go up and go skiing again. And it's like, actually, you can't. Your mind might be ready for that, but your body is not. And the same with eating disorder recovery, even though it's so much more complex, even because it's an emotional change and a mental change. When you've gone through months, years of an eating disorder, there's so much that can recalibrate in order to have a healthy relationship with food and your body and eating. And it can, and it, so it takes that time of, like you said, you have to sort of put a little bit of framework into it in the beginning because left to their own volition, somebody in the early stages of recovery is going to want to resort back to, well, they have this many things on the menu for my restorative phase, but I don't really want to eat that much. And I'm not that hungry. Not realizing that it's, it's about needing to take in more than you're used to, to just reestablish and restore your weight and your well-being. Yeah, I love that analogy too, because I think I I hear that a lot where it's like, okay, I want to be in charge. You know, why should I listen to you? And it's kind of that same idea is like, well, okay, if you break your leg, you're not going to repair it yourself. You're going to get a surgeon or doctor. And so it's kind of that same thing with getting some professional help with the eating disorder and some guidance, because otherwise the eating disorder is in control, right? Like that's who's going to choose. Yeah. Yeah. So it's important to be mindful of that. And you mentioned that it's not, it's not about starting intuitive eating. It's about returning to it. And that, as you said, we all begin eating intuitively. And I know that I 
spend so much time grappling once I, after I'd fallen headfirst into an eating disorder of thinking, what the heck happened? How did I go from, I didn't even used to think about what I ate. I just ate. For me, it hit at like 14. But before then, I mean, I've always loved food, but I would like have two pieces of pizza and then get on with my life. But then like something changed. You can't help but link it to, especially I think for females where your body starts to change and you used to be able to eat whatever you wanted, not think about it. But then all of a sudden your body is getting bigger, changing. And and you think, well, I need to start tweaking this. And it's like, once you start tweaking it, it becomes almost like, I always use the analogy of a Rubik's cube. You're like, okay, if I cut this much calories out and up my exercise, okay, but then I usually end up binging after about a few days of that. And then I gain five pounds in three days. And so, and then you're just constantly trying to micromanage and figure out this crazy thing, this eating disorder. And that's why it's like, if you just try your best to never mess with it, to stay as close as you can to intuitive eating, even if your weight changes, right? Because weight will change. And then it usually always finds its set point, which I think is another part of your work, Jen, which which is around the H-E-A-S. What is, what's the acronym for health? Oh, yeah, every hey, size. health at every size. Hey, it's health at every size, which is a fantastic book by last name Bacon. <laughs> How funny. <laughs> yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, it's and it's a great book that talks about what we have in our mind of how what weight we should be isn't always aligned with our natural set point for our weight based on our height and our body composition, all of that. And that when we try to fight against it, it's usually just this big old detour back to where we're meant to be. Yeah, that's the idea that we have to control our bodies. Where do we get that idea? And that where do we get the idea that we are in control? Because it's like our genetically predetermined weight it's and shape, it's the same thing as our genetically predetermined eye color and hair color and shoe size. Like We're not going to argue that, oh, I just try hard enough, I can change the color of my eyes from brown to green, right? Like if I just tried hard enough, enough I could change my genes. It doesn't work that way, but diet industry will certainly say that you can, even with a 97% failure rate. They, there are these claims that, yeah, you can change your genes. Well, you you can. I mean, it's kind of like, I like to use the analogy of, so we can change our hair color. We can diet and we can, right? Yeah, we can we can do it. And, and if we do that over and over and over and over again and over-process and over-diet, what happens? It becomes brittle and weak. And the same thing happens to our body if we try to change it over and over and over again. It becomes brittle and weak. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I'm health at every size is really about recognizing that there has been so many inaccurate messaging and concepts and recommendations around food and exercise and weight and health and all of that. And most of it will say basically alludes to thinner is better. And that's through not only the diet culture, the fitness culture, but also through the image culture, right? Like how you're supposed to look, what you want to be when people look best in their pictures, how are they looking? So what I liked about health at every size is recognizing that just because we have this idea that a certain size is best does not necessarily represent that person's health or wellness. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's this idea that because we all do have this genetic blueprint, this, you know, the, what's going to be our healthy weight for our body, which can be completely different. You could be the same height as someone, but have a totally different build. And that's the way your body's meant to be. 
And so to have this idea that everyone should be a certain weight based off their height or a certain BMI, it's just completely like bad science. There's so much great data out there that shows that, as I said, weight cycling is actually a bigger predictor of complications like diabetes and heart disease. But what is great is there's also a lot of research that's going into the health at every size approach and which essentially is not focusing on the number on the scale, but instead focusing on healthy behaviors. Yes. Things like eating intuitively, moving the body in a way that feels good. Things that also impact our health are just our physical health. How's our mental health? How's our sleep? All these things can really dramatically impact our health. So to just focus on weight loss and to tell people to lose weight, I mean, it's negligent at best. I think that I really hope that one day that all medical professionals will move away from that recommendation, just like they wouldn't prescribe a medication that had a 3% success rate. Why are they, why would we prescribe weight loss? So this health at every size approach is really all about empowering people to uh, live their healthiest life and get off the scale, right? Not focus on the scale, but instead focus on what's it like to feel good in their body and healthy. Yes, absolutely. And when you get into an eating disorder, you basically walk into a fun house, like a fun house mirror. And all of a sudden, like what's up is down, what's down is up. Like you don't even body dysmorphic disorder, right? Often goes hand in hand with an eating disorder. For those who don't know, body dysmorphic disorder is those who literally see their bodies in a distorted way. They're not viewing it accurately. They see things and it's real. I remember times where at my thinnest, my weight would fluctuate a tiny bit. And I, I literally would think I was fat. And because I didn't fit in these size ze double zero pants. And to me it, now it's like, that's crazy. That's crazy that I felt that way. But the time it felt very real. It was like, well, I'm bigger than I was last week. So this is bad. I got to do something about this. I got to fix this. And it's wild how everything's relative, right? So if you get yourself down to a low enough weight, you can gain two pounds and think that you're overweight. It's crazy. So when you're able to walk out of that funhouse mirror and think, well, if I close my eyes and stop looking, stop fixating on the body and the image and just ask, how do I feel? Well, at a really low weight, I feel cold. I feel a little bit feeble. I feel tired a lot. I don't sleep that well, all sorts of things. And then when I move into a different weight, I have more energy. I feel stronger. And then you start thinking about stuff like, well, what's most important to me? Being a certain size or feeling my best, feeling capable, feeling that I can go out and do all the things I want to do and not have to worry about feeling drained and fatigued and lethargic because it's so important that I don't feed myself. So again, it is sort of this long walk out of very distorted thinking coming from an eating disorder. So that's why the work that you do with people fresh out of one, I imagine is very challenging because they're not thinking rationally for a while. Right. And that's where that nutrition rehabilitation comes in. It's so important to fully get the body back online because I, I'm sure you see this too in the your therapy work that until there's some weight restoration or even if weight restoration is not needed, it's just like the need for more nutrition on board that they're actually able to make these connections in therapy. They're able to make do the work because the brain is nourished again. Yes. So important to, to like, I think to focus on that rehabilitation piece physically, but also for the mental and emotional work as well. Completely, completely. And then yeah. there's also 
the other aspect of an eating disorder, which is it's not all about the weight or eating, but it it is there it is part of it, right? And also it's about your relationship and the way you work with your body image and recognizing that maybe my acceptance of my body doesn't need to be conditional. Maybe it can be unconditional. And I remember talking about this in so many eating disorder support groups where I remember one time this girl said, well, what am I supposed to do if I only love myself when I'm thin? And at that time, when she said that, I thought, I relate to that completely. Because at that point, I was at a place where on a heavy day, I was so mad at myself that I had gotten bigger. And I, on a day that my, the number was low on the scale, I felt so much better. So to me, that's where it becomes an addiction is you can become addicted to I'm good if and I'm bad if this, right? Another thing I talk to with my clients about a lot is if you sit with your body and you recognize, you just sit quietly and put your hand on your heart, put your hand on your stomach and feel your chest rise and fall. Your heart beats for you 24 hours a day. It pumps blood for your body just for you to live and experience this life. What an amazing, miraculous thing. What a hard worker our bodies are. They don't ever stop. And yet rather than praise it and thank it and have gratitude, many of us spend our whole life criticizing it and judging it and critiquing it and scolding it. Mm -hmm. And when I bring that to clients' attention, they often respond pretty strongly because they've never really thought about it that way. We just get so used to, in our culture, having a critical eye and being very judgmental of how we look and show up. So how do we move away from that mentality and say, I don't want to live my life this way where I have these set conditions about whether or not I can accept myself? Yeah. Yeah. I think that was my biggest struggle. And I think why diet culture, I was like the perfect, perfect victim for diet culture is because it, it promises the idea of perfection, like that you can be perfect. It promises the idea that someone else knows better than I do or that I'll be worthy if. And so I think recognizing that we are so much more than our bodies. We are inherently worthy and how we look does not determine our worth. And so when we're able to look at our body in the terms of functions, how it functions for us, appreciating the functions and appreciating how it lets us live our lives and instead focusing on the how our body looks, like who are we as people? How do I show up in this world? How, what do I value in myself? And what do I value in others? Nine times out of 10, I'm going to guess it's not how they look. It's how they show up for you, how they care for you. It's the compassion they give you. It's how they make you feel. Yes. Maybe 10 times out of 10, right? I don't think I've ever done that activity with a client. My favorite activity to do is think of someone you admire and get tell me why. And they list all these amazing traits and never once has a client listed anything about how they look. Yeah. And I think that's so powerful because we realize that's how we view others. Can't we do that same thing for ourselves? Can't we be more than our body? Yes. And I think that's sort of this strange place where we find ourselves and why I think a lot of people feel conflicted with themselves is because, as you said, most people, and I know myself included, I've had those moments where I think if I had to say the things that I value most in, about who I am, it would not be my looks. Yet then why didn't, have I spent so much of my life using 90% of my energy on that thing that I say I don't, that I don't even place value in? What is that about? And I think it's because in general, our society, it's like this iceberg where we know that we have great depth, but we keep it 
undercover. We because we feel it's not a value because it's in this world the way it is now. It's all about what you see. You mm -hmm. can't see at first glance integrity, truthfulness, kindness, compassion. Once you get to know someone, sure, but we're very impatient most of us. And so it's like, well, oh gosh, that person's pretty. I like them automatically or I'm drawn to them. They're interesting. We So until we gain some depth, I believe we'll continue struggling with this. But I think the work that you do, the work that I'm working to do is opening this door that I truly believe in the next few decades and maybe even longer than that it'll take, but that we're going to start to realize that these ephemeral things called superficial qualities are ephemeral and they leave so quickly and they mean nothing ultimately. And not to discount beauty or something, we all can want to look our best and feel good about how we look. But when it becomes a condition about whether or not we have self-worth or can accept ourselves, we're in big trouble, which is where most of us are. A majority of people I know and I think in our society feel if I don't have the superficial things, then I will not be successful. I won't be loved. I won't make it in this world. And there's messaging all the time. We live in a very fat phobic world. And you see that all the time in the media where it's the character in a larger body who's like the goofy one, or it's like the one who is in beautiful is the one who gets the guy. And it's like, these are the images. These are the things that we see growing up that we continue to see. And I think there, that there needs to be a shift and there's starting to be a shift, right? Like there's, there's, Yes. body positive movement and body empowerment. And, and there is a shift, but I'd like to see, I'd like to see more. Oh yeah. And at, when we eat an intuitive level and have a weight that works for us to be able to, to be with that. Yeah. Yeah. Even just in my own stuff, it's like moving away from complimenting people physically as nice as it is to hear a nice a compliment it's like isn't it so much more rewarding to hear something about our true character rather than our outfit today or how our hair looks and yeah. so I, I think that that's something we can all do and to help with this shift is to stop reinforcing these beauty standards by focusing on those or having the conversation turn to that but instead having these deeper connections the deeper conversations and compliments about who we are and appreciation. Yes. And I think that really changes when our beliefs change about what makes us our highest self, that it's not so much about how we look, it's about who we are. And I really, again, like I said, I think that in time to come, we're going to connect more with what's, with what's more eternal, which is our being, is our essence, is our, our true self, and not how we look. A challenge is, though, and this is going to have to change, too, is that I talk a lot about my show about different industries and how they literally thrive off of people's insecurities and yeah. that they we keep them in business. So diet culture is a multi-billion dollar culture and makeup and, and beauty products are multi-billion dollar industry, which just shows us that people are paying and doling out their money to get these fixes of like, this will make me thin and this will make me pretty and I will do these things. And this isn't to say that I don't wear makeup or anything like that, I do. And again, I think there's a difference between you can look however you want to look, but it's just about the conditionality of it, right? Right. Like, could I go out of the house, go out of the house without makeup on? Yes. Do I choose yeah. one of those days? Yes. But it, do I feel worse about myself on the days I don't? No. Right. That's it's the intention behind it. Yeah. I can't imagine growing up these days with social media and just how much negativity is out there regarding bodies and how much like fakeness too. Like I follow these accounts to try to show some of my clients 
how so much of it is posed, edited, just like the certain lighting or certain pose can completely change the shape of a body. And so it's like sometimes these ideals aren't even, most of the time these ideals aren't even real. Yeah. Yeah. So just just that pressure. Yeah. It's not realistic. So the more that we're able to encourage youth to see deeper than just looks or weight and to have a healthy relationship with food in their body, I think we'll make a lot of progress, but we've got a ways to go. Yeah. Building up sense of self, sense self-esteem. I mean, I think I, I will be fully transparent. I have worked really, really hard to heal my relationship with food and my body. And I, most days I live in full appreciation for my body, but it was interesting. It was over, it was like over spring or summer. I was swimsuit shopping and on my phone. And so of course what happens to my Instagram feed, it becomes all swimsuit ads, right? (laughs) So crazy. Oh gosh. And then by the end of the week, I'm like, gosh, like, why am I feeling kind of bad in my body? Like, why am I judging it? Why am I comparing it? And it hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, I've been looking at literally like so many pictures of women in swimsuits. And on this subconscious level, there's my inner critic again. There's my comparison. There's my perfectionism popping back up. Yes. And so it's like you can be in recovery and you can be in this positive place with your body and still yet have these triggers because we're human, right? Like this is my job. I believe in. Yeah. And and yet, look at here it is. Like I'm impacted by our society as well. I live in that same society, right? Yeah, we all are. And I'm right there with you. And I read recently like this little quote that was something like, be mindful of what you consume because consumption is not just food or beverage. It's also the media you consume, the readings you consume, the the stories that you listen to. Be mindful of what you're taking in because I've had the same experience, Jen, where I'll, I don't know, I'll be listening to like some kind of podcast that's more based in like um, celebrity stuff or this and that. And I'll suddenly start to have a little bit more of a grading, like judgmental voice. And I'm like, where did this come from? I'm like, oh, it's because I've been tuned into these people who talk about their success and their fame and their and subconsciously it's like, well, how did they get so much success and how, and it kind of seeps in there. And, but the thing is the blessing of recovery is you can notice it, right? Rather than have it take you under, you can be like, wait a minute. I know what this is. I was looking at those pictures of models in bathing suits and my, that critic came crawling back, but I can let it go. Because then I remember that I'd rather be healthy and in full acceptance of just how I look. But like you said, I mean, we all have our days where we're kind of like, oh, okay. Well, no one's 100% perfect in recovery. Yeah, it's always a daily effort to say, even if I'm struggling today, I can still find a place where I have appreciation and love, unconditional love for myself. Even if I can be like, oh, I don't feel great today, but it's not going to take me under. Yeah. It's like knowing, okay, I feel this way. I don't need to engage in that thought. What's going to make me feel better? What do I need right now? How can I take care of myself? Yeah. I think that's a, a common misconception about positive body image too, is that you always are just like, yes, I love my body every <laughs> every day. It's like, yeah. maybe some days you do feel a little awkward. Like I think okay. body acceptance and respect, that's the goal. It's like, doesn't have to be that you love your body every day, but maybe you're not berating it, right? Maybe you're treating it with care. You're nourishing it. You're putting it in clothes that are fit and are comfortable. You're hydrating. You're taking care of yourself. So much of, I think, body body image work is like actually just self-care work. Yeah, it is. And self-care is being mindful of how you talk to yourself and how 
and how you walk through those challenging situations. Because like you said, it's not like you turn on the, the switch of body acceptance and you're just like dancing through life. And it's more, it's, it's more about how do you walk through the challenges? How do you walk through the bad days where you're like, I feel bloated. I don't feel healthy. I haven't been taking care of myself because I've been overworked and stressed. And it's okay to be like, okay, my body's changed and I don't feel great about it. And how do I move through that without criticism, but with compassion and just say, maybe I need more rest. Maybe I need to take it back a little bit with the work. Maybe I need to focus more on my time, getting movement into my day and taking time to make healthy meals so I feel better. Because most of us don't feel that great when we're constantly like getting takeout and getting like quick fixed meals. We usually feel our best when we're eating well, moving our bodies, getting enough rest. So moving it from criticism to just observation is always a powerful tool, whether it's an eating disorder or your self-esteem or anxiety is to just say, okay, I don't feel great today because I feel this way. And what are some things I can do? Just observing it rather than using like, oh, great, I've let myself go. And now I look terrible. And just be mindful of words like that because those words hit hard. It's just like a bully coming back around and saying mean things to us, except it's ourselves. And speaking of self-care, Jen, maybe we can close with, I know that you help people with navigating the holidays because that tends to be a challenging time for people with eating disorders. So moving into this time, what helps for people when they're feeling so good and on track and my home is a really, it can ignite a lot of these old feelings, these, that old critic when I go back and I'm with my mom or when they set this big food of table of food and I feel anxious about it. So how do you help people move into this holiday time and be in a place of able to enjoy it and not get caught up in some of that stress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, the holidays can be so great and then they can also be so triggering. And there's also, they can be really stressful. It can be positive stress and the negative stress. And our body doesn't really know the difference. Like you just know stress. So I think the holidays, it's it's a a time to really be gentle on yourself. But I have three tips I like to talk about. One, having a plan, which we'll get into. Two, setting healthy boundaries. And three, self-care, which goes hand in hand with that, as you were mentioning. So definitely having a plan, knowing where you're going for the holiday, knowing what time the food is served, because sometimes holiday meals might be served at kind of a strange time. So you might be potentially working with your dietitian or working to have a normalized eating pattern and then this day kind of throws you. So it's really important to know when am I eating and what foods are going to be there. So do you have some family members who subscribe to diet culture? So maybe there's not going to be any carbs. Maybe that's something you could bring. Do you, is there going to be enough food there that you can meet your nutritional needs? And also who's going to be there? So are there going to be relatives who maybe are triggering or who maybe aren't the most positive, don't have the most positive relationship with food? So just kind of knowing the situation you're getting into, sometimes it can be helpful to know, aside from like what time of day is just kind of a plan around nutrition earlier in the day and after, because I think there's a lot of talk about how saving up all your nutrition for the big meal or save it up or make sure to earn the food, go exercise. So I think just keeping as much, so just that regular pattern with eating. So eating a few hours, not letting yourself get too hungry so that when you get to the meal, you don't have that temptation to overeat because your body is coming from a nourished place. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's such a powerful recommendation, not just for the holidays, but for anyone that's going into recovery or trying to establish 
a healthier, more balanced and getting back to intuitive eating is recognizing that your, your greatest tool is to just not create these big dips. Like kind of like I was saying, like falling into that Rubik's cube of like, oh, I overrated this meal. So then I'm not going to eat tomorrow. And then I'll eat for two days in a roastery. And then I won't. And then you just get caught up in it. But if you realize that one meal is not going to change your weight, right? On the scale at night, that's why sometimes it's good to avoid the scale. That's a bigger question is like using the scale or not. But I'll just say that I think during holiday times, it's kind of best not to because your weight might peak after a big meal, but it doesn't mean that you've actually gained that amount of weight. So recognizing that, just like you said, if the best tool you can have is to have your normal day, eat your breakfast, eat your lunch, then not only will you be set up to not overeat as much, but you can just recognize that it was just one meal and you start right back over the next day. Exactly. Yeah. And you might see the scale change, but how much, maybe it was a little saltier of a meal and you retained some fluid. So I agree. Stay off the scale hundred percent. That that should be my fourth step, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But intuitive eating too, we have this idea that yeah, eat when we're hungry, stop when we're full. You want to be moderately hungry, stop when we're moderately full. But it's not the hunger fullness diet. And sometimes we stray from that. And sometimes we might feel a little full. And Thanksgiving is probably a time when maybe we're going to feel a little full. And that is okay and normal. And your body knows what to do with that nutrition. It's not going to radically change your health or your weight one meal, one day, even a week, I would say, can't impact. It won't derail you. It won't. It won't derail you. Yeah. So having that plan, setting boundaries, setting healthy boundaries. So maybe that's having a conversation with family members in advance that I'd really like there to be no talk about food or weight or my weight or my body. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't feel like that's something that's possible to set that boundary, if that feels a little hard, maybe it's then knowing what your boundaries are. And if there is food or diet talk, finding a way to change the conversation. If they're not changing the conversation, knowing that it's okay to walk away and remove yourself from the situation, just setting those healthy boundaries. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jen. That's so helpful. And I know that'll be wonderful resource for the listeners to hear that before they head into their holiday time, which I think we all would love to enjoy. But things come up, complications around stress around family and for those who have issues around food or drinking or whatever it is. So these are fabulous tips to kind of have in mind. And because preparation is the best, what's the word? But it's the best way to reduce stress is for the best result is to be preventative, right? To be preventative and prepare is the best way to do well on tests and also to move through (laughs) events in the most seamless way possible. I think. Yeah, exactly. Maybe prepare a few affirmations or a few slogans you want to say, like, I give myself permission to enjoy this food, or I like I, I'm able to eat all foods, or this this holiday is about more than just food and just whatever you want to say, or like all foods fit, whatever it is that you want to reinforce during the holidays that it may be combating the eating disorder, combating diet culture. What's true for you? What lives with it? What's within your values? And and how do you want to feel this holiday season? Yeah, definitely. And I know that was such a huge thing for me when I was first really trying to move away from, you know, the disordered eating and body image and towards self-acceptance was to take those quiet moments. Like I remember even like a few parties where I would go in the bathroom, just have a moment where I said, I know that I love myself unconditionally and I accept myself because it, when you're, it can be so busy and there's so much noise when you're around a bunch of other people who often are talking about weight and image and all that. And you have to just listen to that calm place inside where you say, it doesn't matter what's going on out there. The only thing that matters is what I hold true here. Yeah, And that can be something you have to reconnect with a million times a day, but just finding that space. And if you're at the Thanksgiving dinner and you just need a second to yourself to say, whoa, 
There's a lot of crazy energy here. There's a lot of triggering things happening. But if I can remember what this is about for me, and this is about health and recovery, then I can take a breath and go back out there. I know that I can go out on my own, on my path to recovery still and not have to be thrown off course by this. Yeah. What a beautiful thing to you to place your hands on your body, to reconnect, to ground, to take a few breaths because it can be stressful, whether that's good stress or bad stress. So just allowing the body to come back down, be present, take those breaths. Because that's another piece of eating intuitively is eating in a way that is calm because our body when our body's in a stressful state, it's it's not in that rest and digest mode. So it's not going to tolerate the food as well as if we're in that calm state, that mindful present state. So what a nice practice to do for yourself, but then also for your body so that it can enjoy the food as well. Yes, absolutely. Because it wants to. Your body likes food too. Yeah. It's happy when we eat. It loves to be nourished and to get those nutrients and sustenance that it needs. Yeah, Definitely. exactly. <laughs> Well, Jen, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining me on the show and for sharing your fabulous insights. I always love talking to you and connecting with you and working with you. So I'd love to have you back again sometime because you're definitely a valuable asset. Thank you so much for having me. I really yeah, I've enjoyed the conversation as well. And I hope that we get to talk again soon. Yes. And Jen, if anybody is interested in learning more about you, is there a way to connect with you maybe online or... Any yeah. yeah. So my my website is bodymindnourishment.com. And so you can find me there. There's a contact page where you can reach me through email, my phone number. But once again, it's bodymindnourishment.com. Beautiful. I love it. Well, Jen, I hope you have a lovely holiday season. And thank you again for joining us. That wraps up our beautiful conversation with our wonderful guest. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Waken podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with others and come back for more. If anything you heard resonates, leave a review or send me an email at Whitney at womenwaken.com and check out the website, womenwaken.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Don't forget to let your light shine and to keep an eye out for your special gifts and magic.